uh, I think most people in evangelicalism, when they see a squirrel, thinks of Gene Clyde. It's really strange when you think about it. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. It's good to have you with us. It is Squirrel Chatter for Wednesday, September 21st, 2022. Glad to have you with us. Squirrel Chatter is a podcast that's dedicated primarily to the public reading of scriptures and secondarily to my thoughts on various topics of the day. And Squirrel Chatter is a crowd, proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. Head on over to christianpodcastcommunity.com.org, christianpodcastcommunity.org. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are sure to find something that's worth listening to. All right. Well, our scripture reading today as we continue to read through the entire Bible in the Legacy Standard Bible translation this year. Our scripture today is going to be Nahum, Psalm 149, and 2 Corinthians 4. And yes, we are on the last page of our checklist as we move through. We've just got a few more weeks at the bottom of our list of weeks there, and we will be done with the the Bible. That's uh, an exciting prospect as we watched it tick down. Um, our topic today, after the Bible reading, we're going to be looking at the Frankfurt Declaration, Article 5. This is, as I mentioned yesterday, the final article in the, uh, the Declaration, so we'll be looking through it. The conclusion is going to have to wait until I get back from Arkansas. Um, I've been recording the Bible readings for the next couple of weeks, but I will be out of town, so we will not be live. The podcast will be audio only, um, mainly because it just takes too long to render and upload the uh, video, so I did not do that. Um, I just didn't reserve enough time to get that done. So it'll be audio only for the next couple of weeks, starting Monday. As I will be heading down to Conway, Arkansas, to Grace Bible Theological Seminary, where I will be taking early church history from Dr. James White. So I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be a good time. I've been been digging into my my church history reading and uh, preparing for those lectures, and uh, it's going to be a good time. Hmm. Trailblaze, Trailblazer Blend from Montana Coffee Traders in my Rush Was Right coffee mug. Mm. Good stuff. Need the coffee this morning. Hope you're doing well. Let's get to it, shall we? We will begin, as is our habit, with the prayer of confession. Let's move a couple of things around on my desk. My desk, my office is just a mess. I... I really need to clean up in here, and I haven't done it. Uh, if, if You're only able to see a little bit of it on the camera, but trust me, I got piles on the floors. I got piles on my recliner. I've, I've got stuff stacked on the desk. I can barely 
barely move. Um, it's just kind of been a collection point for the last couple of weeks, I think, where I've just stuck stuff wherever I have space. Um, it's a mess. It definitely needs to be cleaned. All right. Let's begin, as is our habit, with the Prayer of Confession from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. And now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who hast caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now, the book of the prophet Nahum. We're uh, getting into the minor prophets. So, The Oracle of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. A jealous of and avenging God is Yahweh. Yahweh is avenging and wrathful. Yahweh is avenging against his adversaries, and he keeps his anger for his enemies. Yahweh is slow to anger and great in power, and Yahweh will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. In whirlwind and storm is his way, and clouds are the dust beneath his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel languish. The blossoms of Lebanon languish. Mountains quake because of him, and the hills melt. Indeed, the earth is upheav upheaved by his presence the world and all the inhabitants in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the burning of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are torn down by him. Yahweh is good, a strong defense in the day of distress, and he knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete destruction of its place and will pursue his enemies into darkness." Whatever you devise against Yahweh, he will make a complete destruction of it. Distress will not rise up twice. Like tangled thorns and like those who are drunken with their drink, they are consumed as stubble fully dried up. From you has gone forth one who devised evil against Yahweh, a vile counselor. Thus says Yahweh, Though they are at full strength and likewise many, even so they will be cut off and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no longer. So now, I will break his yoke bar from upon you, and I will break your bands apart. And Yahweh has commanded concerning you, There will no longer be seed from your name, from the house of your gods. I will cut off graven image and molten image. I will prepare your grave, for you are contemptible. Behold, 
On the mountains, the feet of him who proclaims good news, who announces peace. Celebrate your feasts, O Judah. Pay your vows, for never again will the vile one pass through you. He is cut off completely. The one who scatters has come up against you. Guard the fortifications. Watch the road. Strengthen your loins and still your power with exceeding courage. For Yahweh will restore the majesty of Jacob. Like the majesty of Israel, even though those who empty them have emptied them to destruction and ruined their vine branches. The shields of his mighty men are colored red. The valiant men are dressed in scarlet. The chariots are enveloped in flashing steel. When he is set up to march and the cypress spears are brandished. The chariots race madly in the streets. They rush wildly in the squares. Their appearance is like torches. They dash to and fro like lightning flashes. He remembers his mighty ones. They stumble in their march. They hurry to her wall, and the mantelet is set up. The gates of the rivers are opened, and the palace is melted away. So it stands fixed. She is exiled. She is carried away, and her maidservants are moaning like the sound of doves beating on their hearts. Though Nineveh was like a pool of water throughout her days, now they are fleeing. Stand, stand, but no one turns back. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold, and there is no limit to the treasure, wealth from every kind of desirable object. She is emptied, yes, she is emptied out and eviscerated. Hearts are melted and knees knocking. Also anguish is in all their loins, and all their faces turn pale. Where is the den of the lions and the feeding place of the young lions? where the lion, lioness, and lion's cub prowled, with nothing to make them tremble. The lion tore enough for its cubs and strangled enough for its lionesses and filled its lairs with torn-up prey and its dens with torn-up flesh. Behold, I am against you, declares Yahweh of hosts, and I will burn up her chariots in smoke, and a sword will devour your young lions, and I will cut off your prey from the land, and no longer will the voice of your messengers be heard. Woe to the city of bloodshed, completely full of deception and pillage. Her prey never departs. The sound of the whip and the sound of the rumbling of the wheel, galloping horses and bounding chariots, horsemen charging and swords flaming and spears flashing, many slain, a mass of corpses, and there is no end to dead bodies. They stumble over the dead bodies all because of the many harlotries of the harlot, the charming one, the mistress of sorceries, who sells nations by her harlotry and families by her sorceries. Behold, I am against you, declares Yahweh of hosts, and I will uncover your skirts over your face and show to the nations your nakedness and to the kingdoms your disgrace. I will throw detestable filth on you and display you as a wicked fool and set you up as a spectacle. And it will be that all who see you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is devastated. Who will console her? Where will I seek comforters for you? Are you better than Noamon, which sits along the waters of the Nile, with water surrounding her, whose rampart was the sea, whose wall consisted of the sea? Ethiopia was her might, and Egypt too without end. Put and Lubum were among her helpers. Yet she became an exile. She went into captivity. Also, her infants were dashed to pieces at the head of every street. 
they cast lots for her honorable men, and all her great men were bound with fetters. You too will become drunk. You will be hidden. You too will search for a strong defense from the enemy. All your fortifications are fig trees with ripe fruit. When shaken, they fall to the eater's mouth. Behold, your people are women in your midst. The gates of your land are opened wide to your enemies. Fire consumes your gate bars. Draw for yourself water from the siege. Strengthen your fortifications. Go into the city and tread the mortar. Take hold of the brick mold. There fire will consume you. The sword will cut you down. It will consume you as the locust does. Multiply yourself like the creeping locust. Multiply yourself like the swimming locust. You have increased your traders more than the stars of heaven. The creeping locust strips and flies away. Your guardsmen are like the swarming locusts. Your marshals are like a locust swarm, encamping in the stone walls on a cold day. The sun rises and they flee, and the place where they are is not known. Your shepherds are sleeping, O king of Assyria. Your mighty ones are lying down. Your people are scattered on the mountains, and there is no one to regather them. There is no relief for your breakdown. Your wound is incurable. All who hear the report about you will clap their hands over you. For on whom has not your evil passed continually? Now Psalm 149. Praise Yah. Sing to Yahweh a new song. His praise in the assembly of the holy ones. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the sons of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, with tambourine and lyre. Let them sing praises to him. For Yahweh takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the afflicted ones with salvation. Let the holy ones exalt in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the exaltations of God be in their throats and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples to bind their kings with chains and their honored men with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written. This is the majesty of all his holy ones. Praise Yah. Now 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, since we have this ministry as we received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves for the sake of Jesus. For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. In every way afflicted, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. 
For we who live are constantly being delivered over to the death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people will cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is working out for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Now the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Excuse me just a moment. And now the Collect for Grace. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings may be ordered by thy governance, to do always that is righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, well, this is our next to the last uh, episode looking in depth at the Frankfurt Declaration of Christian and Civil Liberties. Um, when I return from Conway, we will have the, the concluding remarks, but we're looking at the final article of the Confession today. And just to go back through the Declaration's articles, Article 1 was God the Creator as Sovereign Lawgiver and Judge. Article 2 was God as the Source of Truth and the Role of Science. Article 3, Mankind as the Image of God. Article 4, God-Given Mandates and Limits of Authority. That was us yesterday. And now Article 5, Christ as Head of the Church. In many ways, this is a Declaration of Independence of the Church. <laughs> from government, from the civil governing authorities. Let's read the article. We affirm that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ belongs to him at the cost of his life and that it is accountable to him alone in all matters of faith and practice. We believe that Christ's command to give to Caesar, i.e. the civil authority, what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God establishes the functional independence of the church from the state. We believe that Christ, who is Lord over all, 
calls all without distinction of any kind to freely and regularly gather together in his name in local congregations to seek and serve him in truth and love. We further affirm that the activities of the local church, insofar as they are essential acts of worship, are to be regulated by Christ alone. We therefore deny that any other authority has jurisdiction over the church to regulate any of its affairs in matters of faith and practice or to regulate its activities to a non-essential status. Thus, we repudiate all actions of the state that impose coercive measures over the church and criminalize, inhibit, or regulate any of its activities which are undertaken as acts of service towards its Lord. Lastly, we resist the trend of digital platforms in Christian worship and ministry to become substitutes for congregational and in-person ministry which are essential to our faith. All right, let's break this down. Clearly, we affirm that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ belongs to him. It's his church. He said, I will build my church. His church consists of blood-bought sinners paid for by his death on the cross. So the church belongs to him at the cost of his life. And it's accountable to him alone in all matters of faith and practice. He is the one who determines what we are to believe. He is the one who determines how we are to serve him. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded, is what Jesus said. He is the one who determined all matters of faith and practice for his church. We believe that Christ's command to give to Caesar, i.e. the civil authority, what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God, establishes the functional independence of the church from the state. That cannot be overstated. The church functions independently of the state. This is, is, is key. I mean, we, we look at places where the church has been forced underground because of hostility from the state. The states that do that are in sin. So to all of our Christian brothers and sisters who are in the Middle East, in, in Muslim countries where Christianity is outlawed, or in China where Christianity is outlawed, and doubtless other places. I understand that there's uh, quite a bit of persecution of Christians going on in India and other places where it's just not considered you know, to be legal to gather together to worship Christ. The nations that do that are in sin. They are violating, they are, as we looked at yesterday, they're exceeding their mandate. <laughs> They are going beyond what God has instituted them for. So the church is functionally independent of the state. We believe that Christ, who is Lord over all, calls all without distinction of any kind to freely and regularly gather together in his name in local congregations to seek and serve him in truth and love. The word clearly says that we are not to forsake the gathering together 
of the saints. The church life is a life that's lived corporately, together. So we are to gather together in local congregations under the head and rule and government of biblically qualified elders. And we are to seek and serve him in truth and love, gathered together. We further affirm that the activities of the local church, insofar as they are essential acts of worship, are to be regulated by Christ alone. This is tantamount to the regulative principle of worship. We don't worship God the way we want to. We worship God the way he has told us to. And that's key. Um, we often think of, uh, and I, I know I've mentioned this before when we look at the Ten Commandments. The first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods other than me, is what God says. The second commandment says, you shall not make for yourself idols or images. The first command and the second command are not saying the same thing. The first command says you have no other gods. The second command says you don't worship God by making idols to him. It's not talking about false gods. That's covered in the first one. It's talking about idols to God. So the first command is worship the right God. The second command is worship God rightly. Worship him as he has commanded, not as we might desire, not as we think is best, but as he has said we are to do. And he has clearly said what we are to do. And we've looked at these, you know, the, the, the reading of the word, the, the singing of hymn songs and spiritual songs, prayer, the exposition of the word, you know, was it, uh, Read the word, sing the word, pray the word, preach the word, live the word. That's the mandate of the church. We don't get to do it however we want. So acts of worship are to be regulated by Christ alone, not by the state. I mean, if it's not supposed to be regulated by the desires of the, of the congregation beyond the the commands of, of Christ, it certainly shouldn't be regulated by governing officials. They have no authority to tell us where, when, and how we are to worship our Lord. That is the Lord's prerogative. We therefore deny that any other authority has jurisdiction over the church to regulate any of its affairs in matters of faith and practice or to regulate its activities to a non-essential status. Now, a lot of people have, you know, oh, well, you submit to the, to the state in regards to, you know, emergency exit signs in your churches. Yeah. And building codes and all that sort of stuff. Um, buildings are not required for worship. If we have buildings, they should comply with local ordinances so that the buildings are safe. That's nothing new. But the church exists outside the building. 
the the building isn't the church. The building is where the church meets. So the fact that the building falls under the jurisdiction of the state has nothing to do with the state's limits, inability, un uh, how how do I put it? Not there. They, the, they they don't have jurisdiction over the worship of the church. They can't tell us what to believe. They cannot tell us how to worship. So when municipalities said you can't sing in church, where the Bible says encourage each other with psalms, songs, and spirit, you know, songs, hymn, and spiritual psalms, however it's phrased, that when the scripture says that we are to do that, that is who we are to believe. That is who we are to obey, not the municipality that says don't sing in worship. When they say don't meet in person, that's not their, that's outside their bailiwick to tell people they can't meet together. Um, I remember when I talked about the, the Bill of Rights and everything, that the Bill of Rights in the United States Constitution does not establish the rights. It tells the government to preserve and not infringe upon those rights. And one of those rights is freedom of assembly and freedom of association. So the government has no authority to tell us we cannot meet together. Now, they may be able to tell us that we cannot meet in certain places under their jurisdiction, but they cannot tell us we are not to meet we thus repudiate all actions of the state that impose coercive measures over the church and criminalize, inhibit, or regulate any of its activities which are undertaken as acts of service towards its Lord. We repudiate all governmental actions to restrict the meeting of the church. This is an, uh, an overreach. This is going beyond the authority that God has granted to government. Lastly, we resist the trend of digital platforms in Christian worship and ministry to become substitutes for congregational and in-person ministry which are essential to our faith. Folks, Zoom church is not church, to quote John MacArthur. Yes, if you cannot attend church, then watching a, a church via Zoom, you know, can be an acceptable alternative temporarily. You know, if if you're if you're sick and bedridden and you can't go to church and your church live streams their service, by all means watch it. You know, you you can you know worship in that way if that's all you're able to do. But you should be a part of a local church, if at all possible. Now, you're going to find churches that are not, you know, let's say the best church in your area is not perfect. Guess what? None of them are. Um, as, as it's been said many, many times, if you ever find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. Because you're not perfect. So don't expect the perfect church. Worship together with the saints. 
gather with the saints. You don't have to agree with everything as long as the church is not heretical. You know, if you have differences in doctrine that, that, that fall outside of, you know, outright denials of the Christian faith, you know, I can, I am a premillennialist. <laughs> I worship joyfully with amillennialists and postmillennialists. We don't have to be in perfect doctrinal lockstep, nor do you. Zoom church isn't church. And for many people, I mean, some churches that quit meeting during the COVID pandemic and went to online church have just stayed online. They're not, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know if there are no churches, that, if there are any churches that are still not meeting at all, but a lot of the people in the church got used to watching Zoom church. And they like it because they can sit on their couch in their pajamas. They don't have to, to, to wait in line for a bathroom. They don't have to get up and get dressed and get to church on time or any of that. They can just sit and watch. But the, the trouble is that church is participatory. Church is not a spectator event. You know. Now, you can be edified by sermons and video, but you can't fellowship with the church. So please find a church and attend. It's, it's very important. Digital platforms are not a substitute for congregational and in-person ministry. We must meet together. That It's mandated. You know, do not forsake the gathering together of the saints. And, you know, does this mean you should find a local church in your area and attend it? Yes, it does. Even if you have to drive an hour or more. If it's possible for you to attend church, do so. And like I said, even if it's not fully in doctrinal agreement with what you think, it's still a good idea to gather together with the saints regularly. It's important to your soul. It's important to the church. All right. So that is Article 5 of the Frankfurt Declaration of Christian and Civil Liberties. And I point out again that I will link this on the website or on the show notes and I encourage you to go through the scriptural proofs at the end of the of the article and assure yourself that the article is indeed reflecting what's taught in scripture because it's very important that you not only know what the article what the declaration says but why it says it and if you are so inclined I would encourage you to sign it, knowing full well that having your name affixed to such a document may put you on one or more governmental watch lists and may someday be used as evidence against you in trial as, as the totalitarian governments will brook no dissent. And, and if you refuse to obey them, they will come after you. So be forewarned. 
but know that we are to obey, obey God rather than Caesar. And, and that is a clear mandate in Scripture. All right, folks, that's Squirrel Chatter for Wednesday, September 21st. I hope you have the best of days. Remember, please, to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster. 